Hey there, missionaries. This is Len, aka the Bat Tribble, welcoming you to another edition of Previously on the Michelle Mission. As we close out Halloween 2022, we take you back to one of our first Halloweens. This is from episode 40 of the Michelle Mission, when Vincent and I reviewed the horror anthology Tales from the Hood. 1995 directed by Rusty Kungif under the executive productionship of one Spike Lee. This film featured four short stories that dealt with police corruption, domestic abuse, racism, as well as gang violence and a host of other ills that were plaguing black America in the 90s. And joining Vincent and I on this review is Ashley Blackwell, famous from Graveyard Shift Sisters, a cool website that I invite you all to go to to check out a space that spotlights the on-screen and off-screen contributions of black women in horror and even sometimes in the genres of science fiction and fantasy and she would also go on to co-produce the shutter original documentary horror noir which looked at how blacks are viewed in horror films throughout the many decades this is a favorite episode of vincent and ashley is as you might expect a very very busy woman but maybe rerunning one of her last appearances on the show, I think she appeared like two weeks prior to this as well, will be inspiration for the, for us to reconnect and get her back on the show. If you have a previous review that you would like to hear spotlighted here on Previously, send us an email at michomission at gmail.com you can also hit us up on all of our social media, Twitter or Instagram at Mission, and use hashtag previously to let us know what your thoughts were. And I invite you, if you are liking this podcast as well as our regular podcast, never miss an episode. Subscribe to the Michelle Mission on the podcast catcher of your choice. And if you want to check us out live or see what Vince and I look like when we're bugging around on these silly little things. Follow us on YouTube. Look up the Misho Mission, M-I-C-H-E-A-U-X-M-I-S-S-I-O-N on YouTube and become a subscriber so you can never miss one of our live streams. Alright, enjoy this edition of Previously. Welcome once again to another stop on the Michelle Mission. I am your host, Vincent Williams of It's All Soul, 8 to 10 Wednesdays on G-Town Radio, joined as always by... Yo, what's up? Holla your boy. This is Len, a.k.a. the Bat Tribble. And as we continue once again on our journey through October with spooky ooky movies and films... Ooh. 
It's like a Star Trek ghost sound. We are joined. Space Phantom. We are joined once again by Ashley from Girls Will Be Ghouls. And GraveyardShiftSisters.com. Hi. Damn, did I mess it up again? No, I, I, Y'all don't know. This is the second time we tried it. I'm doing Take too 12. much. That's what it is. I'm doing too much. So there's so much. You know, Ashley does this. Ashley does that. So I, I. And I'm so busy trying to remember Rusty Kundiev. Yeah, that's yeah, that's how I've heard it pronounced. Right, so. right. That I messed your name up. But we're joined once again by Ashley. And tonight we are going to critique, talk about, observe, disassemble, put back together Rusty Kondiev's nineteen ninety five anthology, Tales from the Hood. But before we do that, we have a bit of business, a bit of peace of mail, a little this, a little that. What we got over there? We Got a message from Robert Monroe Jr. All right. What's up, Robert? Who um, wrote in to say, he said, uh, Vince, when you were running down the things that, you know, you cannot have in your horror movies. I, I, yes. Uh, he, he wrote that, Vince, when you said puppets, I laughed so hard my stomach hurt. That's right. I, I, on the other hand, will most definitely see a horror movie that has the devil, ghosts, kids, and puppets in it. And you may need to take a Xanax before watching Tales from the Hood. Well, we're going to talk about Tales from the Hood momentarily, Robert. And I think you are right talking about, I, I think one of the things that we need to talk about is just how scary was it? Yeah. I will say this. Anybody who says the Pinocchio song, I don't, have, I don't need strings isn't creepy as hell is lying really Pinocchio in general like Pinocchio that's a that's a tough movie Pinocchio has been used uh there's a documentary on horror films on the history of them and one of the second one of the parts they did talk about how Pinocchio was really terrifying even for children so good point yeah yeah so there you go puppets marionettes yeah I I, ventriloquist dummies oh ventriloquist dummies are like Oh, Ovintrunka's oh. dummies are scary, but puppets aren't. I get. I guess for some reason the puppets I never find. Well, first of all, no. I, for some reason, puppets I don't find scary. Now I do hear you, and second you on the whole dolls thing. I mean, I'll still watch the film, right? But dolls do creep me out. They, 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 and ventriloquist dummies. I mean, ventriloquist dummies. I think they really creeped me out because I was much too young. One of those films, because everyone has those films that you see when you, you right, have right, no right. business seeing. Right. And the movie that yes. I saw when I had no business seeing was Magic. Oh, oh yeah. yeah that's ridiculous. That yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which uh, stars, a, if I remember, a very young Anthony Hopkins yes. in that film as a ventriloquist mm -hmm. um, who dummy just has him going on this crazy murder uh, spree. If as I remember as the, the dummies do. Yes, as dummies are <laughs> wont to do. Yes. Yes. And, and because of that, because I saw that at such a young age, and then not long after that, there was an episode of night gallery yeah that had a ventriloquist that's right it sure it. was and 
I don't know what happened in the episode. I just saw that they went, cut to a ventriloquist dummy, and I said, "Well, goodbye." Yeah. And the TV went off, and Night Gallery was tough too because if you were a young sci-fi kid, like I'm assuming you were, yes. you saw Rod Serling, and you said, "Oh, this is on." The a Twilight, Twilight Zone. Zone type vibe, but Night Gallery would get scary. Yes, it would. I mean, Twilight Zone. I was, I was actually thinking, what's the Twilight Zone episode with the doll? With the doll. And yeah. at the very end, she says, "Like my name is whatever her name was." So like talking Tina. Like talking Tina, yeah. and yeah. her head turns and says, "And you better be good to me." Mm-hmm. And then it goes off. Like what is that? Yeah, well, that the doll was like trying to kill the father. Like, the oh no, no, no! But right, the doll had killed a couple of people and that like that's the last thing the woman gets the doll and doll turns her head and says and you better be good to me it's like see but yes yes robert dolls we will talk about puppets and dolls this evening of course uh he also went in saying that we need to check out on um amazon i guess is uh an amazon you know recommendation for the michelle mission and for follow the followers of the Michelle Mission from 1991 screenplays of the African American experience blacks in the diaspora oh okay six independent African American filmmakers including Charles Burnett director of the film to sleep with anger are represented in this collection by screenplays produced from 73 to 89 speaking in their own voice a black voice which has resisted the cultural dominance of Hollywood Phyllis Rauch uh, Klotman introduces each screenplay, provides a biographical sketch of the filmmaker, and lists the cast and production credits for each film. And the films are Sidewalk Stories. Okay, I've never seen that. A Different Image. Never seen that. Illusions. Never seen that. Losing Ground. Saw that. Killer of Sheep didn't see that but we talked about watching that and ganja and hess boom <laughs> wow so that's a, that's very interesting and that can be got on a, a hardcover okay on amazon for just uh just a little less than ten dollars yeah so you should probably get that too ashley i think that's- the um article i think she wrote it co-wrote it with Mantia diawara if i'm Remembering correctly, because that, that name is so familiar, Phyllis Klotman, the um, the article she did on Ganja and Hess is is available online if you want it, like the link for it. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. All right. Nice. Cool. That's dope. Yeah. So, cool. Well, so, thank you, Robert. Thank you, Robert, as always, for your thoughts and your kind recommendation. Uh, speaking about Ganja and Hess, real quick, before we get into Tales from the Hood, uh, while we were waiting for you, Vince, me and oh, you guys just put me. I mean, you had to make it a matter of record that I was late. Like, what's that? You could have not even been late. You could have just been in the other room. And y'all but were now. But now, late. now it's a matter of record. Okay, I'll just stop talking. <laughs> uh, me and Ashley, because she came here in her beautiful blood sucker Blackula shirt. Yes, we were talking about about um, horror films, specifically black horror films, that she surprised has not been remade yet. You know, mm-hmm. I had to remind her of Ganja and Hess being remade, which right, right, she right. has um, seemingly, you know, erased from <laughs> It's her like it never happened. Pretty much. Okay. <laughs> but we were thinking we were thinking about that and um in, in thinking about that, I wondered if you had any thoughts on maybe a horror film you thought that a black horror film that might be uh, worthy or well appropriately enough since we are preparing for our next show 
um, I actually thought JD's Revenge yeah. could be remade. Yeah, and and not even tweaked that much. Nah, not really. Like not that much, and I think it would it would have been that'd be a good film. I would actually, you know, it, it's it's funny. I was reading an interview with Eddie Murphy, and Eddie Murphy was talking about like movies that he's made and how things didn't work out. And he always like like he was talking about a vampire in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and he said part of what went wrong with a vampire in Brooklyn very quickly was the wig. And, you, you know, just talking about, you, you know, just little things that make things go wrong. And appropriately enough, since we were talking about, I think both Blackula and Scream Blackula Scream could be remade. You just have to get that word Blackula out of it. And that's what I was thinking. I didn't say that with Len, but I was, it was that was in the back of my head. I'm just like, I don't know if the title Blackula would work, but the story itself could. Right, right. And, you know, if you've seen... Blackula. I don't know how much the term Blackula is used in the movie. Maybe once. Right. Like, because he's Prince. I forget his. his Mama Walde. Right. Mama Walde. Like, that's his name, and, and no one ever calls him. That would be a good name for him. Blackula. So. Would that ride, though? Like, it, like if we're talking about this movie getting studio backing, would they go with Mama Walde? Well, no, but, you know. Like, The Curse of Mama Walde. Have you read the, the Kim of- Newman? Vampire books? No, it's on my list though. Kim Newman kind of put together is, is basically is basically like an Alan Moore Le- Legion of Extraordinary Gentlemen type thing, okay. where basically all of the vampire stuff, the movies, the books, everything actually happened. Okay, and then it's set in this alternative, you know, this alternate Earth. But there is a um a little side plot where, as you're reading it, you realize. Oh wait, that's Blackula. Oh, okay. But when you remove all of the seventies Blackula stuff, I mean it's a pretty engaging story. So I would say Blackula, I would say JD's Revenge. If you redid Blackula, would you keep it in the same or JD's Revenge? Would you keep it in not so much JD's Revenge, because I don't think that's necessarily time period specific outside of JD being back in the forties. Right. But Blackula, would you keep it in the seventies? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. I mean, you know, I think everything could work as a period piece if it's approached. Mm-hmm. Same with yeah. Sugar Hill. I think is a good one. Sugar oh. Hill is a good one. We remember we were we were just talking about Sugar Hill. Mm-hmm. Sugar Hill would be a good one too. Anyway, all right. Yes. So that's interesting. Uh, a bit of conversation, ladies and gentlemen, that we've got going on. Um, we almost did Sugar Hill this month. Like I feel like I, Sugar. I feel like I Sh- Sugar Hill was it. shortlisted. Yeah. yeah. There'll be more Halloween. Yeah, There'll be, be more, more Halloween. Sorry. Right. There you go. Right now, we are going to get into our review of Tales from the Hood. Let's roll, bro. In this neighborhood is a house where souls never rest. You're invited to share their secrets. I've been waiting for you, boys. You're invited to share their tales. Unless, of course, you're scared. Tales of madness. <laughs> of revenge. The dolls don't want you there. They want reparation. <laughs> of horror. He thinks he needs to kill the monster. Now, your most terrifying nightmare and your most frightening reality are about to meet. On the streets. This is a trip, homie. I don't need nothing from no house of dead folks, okay? Death. 
It comes in many strange packages. The producer of Menace to Society and executive producer Spike Lee will take you to the outer limits of the inner city. From the hood, chill or be chilled. Hey man, I don't need to be hearing this, man. Written and produced by Darren Scott. Written and directed by Rusty Kunda. Tales from the Hood. Uh, Rusty um, Kundiev's 1990, 1995 anthology was actually uh, um, Forty Acres in the Mule production. Yes, you know, it, it, Spike Lee. it was during that that kind of cool period where Spike Lee was producing films. Um, you have a, a framing sequence where three young gangbangers are going to get some found drugs from a uh, um, funeral parlor, and as they're there, the the funeral parlor director, played by Clarence Williams the third, tells them stories about a series of of corpses that he's preparing for funerals and each one of those stories spins into a small vignette and then it ends with a surprising end well not that surprising if you're paying attention in sequence so as we always do as we did before ashley yes why did you choose tales from the hood yeah why did you choose tales from the hood first of all you have to do every black horror film well not i'm sorry every black film yes so let's get this one out of the way. I think it was a <laughs> bless you. <laughs> Tales from the hood. Let's get this one out of the way. I wanted to do something drastically different from last week, mm-hmm. um, and I wanted to do an anthology. I think it's it's. I'm pretty sure Tales from the Hood is probably the only black horror anthology that exists. I believe like that's oriented around um, a black cast and uh, you know. Uh, culturally relevant themes to black people Mm. more specifically in america so um it's one of my favorites from when i was a kid now keep in mind in 1995 i was 13 12 13 years old so yeah i mean this movie struck a chord with me seeing it because it was one of those rentals that my mom got and it was one of those things that she did where she would watch a horror movie and I would be in the room for some, for whatever reason and I would get attached to it so it was a movie that genuinely scared me and I think it's because I, I was identifying with the characters on screen just you know based on you know um, cultural signifiers yeah. and um, yeah oh yeah and also they just they, they look like me they look like my brothers they look like the kids I played with on the schoolyard so um and I, I just and I and I kind of liked that how as where Ganja and Hess seem more abstract um Tales from the Hood is a little bit more direct and mm-hmm. for some for some people I think it's a little too over the too, to hit you a little bit too much over the head with its cultural commentary and for some people it's just right on the nose and you know when I was doing my own research for this film what was what I think what's important to re, um, realize and understand for some people who think it's a, a little over the top is that for that time it kind of fed an audience, especially an audience, especially a, a black audience that wanted to see horror movies with people who look like them in them. That this was the movie that you know I felt like the filmmakers wanted. I felt like the filmmakers wanted to give this audience that they felt like they they felt like the audience wanted. If I'm saying am I saying that correctly? I'm, the filmmakers gave the audience the film that they wanted right so and i thought that was interesting and there's always been a black horror film 
audience. Yeah, exactly. Right. That hasn't, as you said, hasn't necessarily been served directly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And that's why I chose this one. And especially okay. this one is one that I could see why Spike would want to back it. Right. Because it's filled with, like you say, a whole lot of social commentary right. that was very much, uh, very prominent in Spike in a lot of the films and, 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 in a lot of the films that he was doing at this time, and even just in a lot of the the speak the speaking that he was doing, you know, right, he's right. always been on like the, you know, the uh, the circuit, you know, speaking at different colleges and things like that. And these and this definitely touches on a lot of themes that of those uh, speeches that he was making, uh, especially when you really break it down. I think in in there's a lot of commentary on black men in this movie um, from all different aspects from the young gangbangers to black men that you know um, uh, uh, who are married um, to uh, being abusive to women and to children Um, it, it touches on police brutality like oh my god like you know has that never not been a subject um, he cast, you know, I think you when you go to cast a white jerk in the 90s, you cast Wing Hauer. I was, I was, I put down, oh, it's Wing. Wing's Hauer. Wing like, Hauser, yeah. 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 He's like everybody, he's the, he's the prototype yeah. for a black jerk in the 90s. I mean, white jerk. White jerk, the, right. In the 90s. Um, uh, and, like you say, this is a film that does it does hit you over the head, and it just it. I mean, it's like banging you upside the head with the messages, and some of them, some of them, it hits you so hard that it it takes you out of the story a little bit, to a degree. But some of them, when played right, really, really hit home. And the one that the story that hit home the the most to me um and i'm not quite sure exactly what was the name of that um it was the story of with here we go oh yeah boys yeah boys do get bruised i had a feeling you were gonna say yeah yeah i mean that's that one just like i mean is it fair to say that's the best one like like is is there a consensus that that's the best one as of last night, watching it with fresh pair of eyes, yes. I, I think that's the best one. I think it's I think it's the best one story with the, a marriage of the story, the acting, and the special effects. Right, right, right. Um, the themes are sort of played. All, you, you know, it, it's uh, it's not too. And when you think about it, it really, you know, it doesn't lean too hard on the whole horror aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Outside of just the. You right, know, right. The comeuppance at the end. Right. Um, it, so, it, in that way, it is the best. It is the best. But the one with Corbin Burnson, um, oh, the KKK comeuppance. <laughs> that's a that's a little that's, that's memorable as well. Right. So Absolutely. And you can you can tell on that one. You can see where the budget went. Right, 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 right. <laughs> and, and the entire way. budget went to that with, with well, we have dolls. Yes. We and do. now we have dolls. Yes. And and but they're very well done. Very well done. Very well done. Um so 
I think it may be it's an anthology, so I think mm-hmm. it may be fair to to go through the stories. At least yeah. Give them to people yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. one by one. And, and if we do, we start with, and then we'll, you know, we'll end with the whole framing sequence. Right. And the first story is um, Road Cop Revelation. Road Cop Revelation, where you have uh, a young black police officer, Clarence Smith, played by Anthony Griffith, taken out by his new partner, Newton, uh, played by Michael Massey, to the scene of what initially appears to be a routine traffic stop of a well dressed black man. However, he soon learns that the man is in fact Martin Morehouse. I mean, I mean like even the names are. Yeah. It, it is. It is. <laughs> um, it's not a subtle film. Well, no, it's not. Uh, a, a Martin Martin Morehouse, a city councilman and blacks right activist who has recently been on a crusade to eliminate police corruption in the city. Well, he rolled into the wrong spot <laughs> because uh, um, the police officer, white police officers, Billy. And Strom, played by Dwayne Whitaker and Wings Hauser, brutally beat Morehouse with their nightsticks, vandalized his car, set him up, and, and basically pump him full of drugs and kill pump him. Pump him full of drugs. And all while. Drive him off the pier. While the young black officer is just basically standing there and not doing anything. He, I right. mean, he, he raises a little bit of like, hey, guys. Right. Don't. Yeah. Yes, yes. And then, uh, but you know, long lo and behold, he still doesn't do anything, and that comes back to haunt him. Yeah. When uh, Morehouse returns from the dead uh, a year later, what do you think of Rogue's Cop Revelation, Ashley? When you were talking about um, all the different aspects, especially with um, uh, depictions of black men in this film and I'll get into my little bit of critique I guess a little bit later but um, I think it more I guess you kind of see it kind of comes around more towards the end it kind of touches on mental illness a little bit um, it, it, and it, I guess I guess it not even touches I guess it just kind of like pokes at it a little bit because um, this because Clarence was kind of haunted by his his non-decisions of or not doing the right thing like he's in action yeah he's in action but that but it came but if i don't yeah god it does come back to me because at the end i will you know at at the end you see he's basically been um admitted to an insane asylum right um so i guess it does ultimately come back to like maybe he, he, he you know he went crazy but yeah, but that wasn't really the story. That's the. No. But but I don't know for some reason I thought of that because I guess I kind of wanted more from it. Uh, it, it was really it really played up the um, the the horror factor, I guess. If you talk about kind of the revenge aspect and the revenge mm-hmm. of the undead, and um, that's yeah, that this was one that was really pretty much underwhelming for me because it was very straightforward for me. I guess if that makes any sense, like right. it's. It you know um, even though again the the playing of strange fruit when Morehouse is being <laughs> was being beaten again over the top it, it was it yeah. was a lot it, it, and, I mean, and, and was, for some reason I think I understood what they were going for but for some reason it came off as inappropriate when they were playing that right mm-hmm. right you know, like well because it's I mean again it's so over the top I, I mean I think yeah. what 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 hit me watching it this time. Is that the whole thing is is a, a EC Comics riff? 
Like it's yeah. Tales yeah. from the Crypt, and, yeah. and, and you know yeah. he's the Crypt Keeper, and and you know you see if you've ever read any of those old fifties comics, they're always over the top. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always you know the great evil, and then you you know the comeuppance. You, you know this kind of really stringent moral code yeah. that you have. I um you know I was underwhelmed too. One thing that I really liked a lot, I thought the use of the murals as as yeah, sort of cool. you, you know this this sort of tonal this tonal aspect to to kind of show the horror the horror I I liked that a lot. And and that was there were a couple of times throughout the film where you had sort of these and it's funny you were talking about it when you said you saw it as a kid. Mm-hmm. These kind of culturally specific markers. Mm-hmm that are then used in a horror context. And, you, you know, if, you know, here in Philadelphia, we, we were like a city of murals. So to see the, you know, sort of the, the urban mural and, and kind of it, it being used as part of this, and then, you know, it ends with, and again, this is what made me think of EC Comics, because it's always the body horror yeah. that happens. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, the, the sort of ironic body horror. So, you know, the, the policeman is is shot with the with the needles and then he becomes part of this horrific mural. Yeah. So I like, which was actually very well done. Yeah. Oh yeah. But you know, I mean, it was, it it was the first, it was the first vignette. It's interesting that it was the first vignette in that, you know, because the whole framing sequence is that, you know, Clarence Williams is showing each of the guys in the funeral home, someone in the casket and the person in the casket is the cop is the black, the young black cop. Yet the film, yet that vignette doesn't end with, or you don't see the the young black cop's death. Right. So it's yeah. almost like, to me, you know, I think they kind of like wrote themselves into a little bit of corner and they threw a little bit of exposition to 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 get over on it. Um, but the one aspect I did like about this, as much as over the top as it was, I liked that the young cop didn't get off. Right. That he didn't get off for his inaction. Because even if his, even if, you know, it was him, it would have been him against three white cops. Right. Yeah. Ultimately, he probably wouldn't have been able to do anything. But the fact that he didn't do anything and he stood there for the most part, like mute to the whole thing. And didn't report them after the fact. Didn't report it afterwards at all. You know, I like that he, that he got called on a carpet for that. And, and to a degree only because I knew that his body was supposed to end up in the uh, in the coffin when he you know the the specter the evil guy turns the, the the last white guy into a part of the mural I would have loved for him to have done that to the black cop right because I, that just seemed like so so gruesome to be part of that and then be part of this mural almost as if you were like alive to witness your punishment right and forevermore just be you know tormented by that so i would have loved for i would have loved for that flip but i knew that they couldn't do that because of the hole they had written themselves into but um yeah it was a little underwhelming it wasn't well done because they do have this whole time lapse where the story jumps ahead a year I was like when did this jump ahead a year Right. I did not I, there was no one year later anything like well, that well you could tell it's a story that needed more more breathing room yeah like it could have been developed more but you know it had to fit into this slot right because I was still I still to this day don't understand the symbolism of the cross yeah I yeah. don't get that because you have more houses on the cross and then the white cop 
um, the one white cop who becomes a part of the mural becomes like he looks kind like of he's like, crucified. Yeah. It's like, I, would it, I, I'm tr- I still don't understand what that's trying to say. I think they don't, they, I think they didn't have uh, their, their hands really on exactly what they wanted to get across. They exactly. knew kind of like what themes they wanted, but what they wanted to really um, investigate with that, I don't think they really had their hands on it, and it showed ultimately. After Road Cop Revelation, we go to, that's when we went to Boys Do Get Bruised. Boys Do Get Bruised. With Johnson, played by a very young Brandon Hammond, a young, quiet, sensitive boy, um, is uh, in school and he is teacher. Richard Garvey, played by Rusty Kondiev. Yeah, the director. The, the, the director. Uh, notices bruises and asks what happened. Walter claims that he was attacked by a monster. A few days later, uh, Rusty, um, after seeing a, a few more incidents of this, Rusty decides to go to Walter's house, where he meets his mother, Sissy, played by Paula J. Walk- Parker, asking her about the about the murder, uh, the monster. Sissy claims that Walter's injuries are the result of his own clumsiness, and she then tells Walter to not reveal anything about the monster to anyone else. Not uh, before Garvey can leave. Sissy's boyfriend Carl, played by David Allen Greer, comes home, and soon everything plays out in such a way that we learn that it is in fact Carl who is the monster yes. that has been terrorizing this home um, Walter and Sissy alike. Vince what were your thoughts on boys do get bruised? Well this was cool. this was easily my favorite vignette of the of the film. I th- I thought um I thought that the the players in the film were great. I I mean David Allen Greer as sort of this monster character, like if if, if you know you, you weren't so familiar with him as a comedic actor, yeah, it would be just like wow, you know, usually see him, but you know, is like I think he's like a Yale trained actor, yes, so he is. so you know, he really gets across the menace. I mean, by the end, he is kind of over the top, but there's there's like forty five seconds when he first comes in. Mm. Yeah, where he and Paula J. Parker are kind of playing off of each other and you see the fear and you see the intimidation mm-hmm. where he's fantastic. You know, I've always said that um, Brandon Hammond, who, you know, most of us know from uh, probably Soul Food, probably Soul Food. He plays the, um, the the narrator in Soul Food is one of the most underrated kid actors of the past 15. Like I never understood why he didn't work more. So, you know, he's fantastic. I just really like Paula J. Parker. I always like Paula <laughs> J. Parker. I always, I always wanted Paula J. Parker to work more. And I think talking about this as a horror movie, this one worked for me the most because it was, the most of it was from the perspective of um, Walter. Mm-hmm. You, yeah. you know, so that, and, you, and I thought it did a great job kind of conveying that fear yeah. that you have as a kid in the dark and you know there were these wonderful sequences where you know the door cracks open and you hear something and you know again you you get the body horror at the end with with him kind of crumpling up the paper but you know for the most part 
that you know i thought this this part was very well done almost to the point where it almost felt like it was from a different movie yeah yeah it was real world horror what do you think about this one ashley no i totally agree um i love when clarence williams the third he kind of introduces it it's like you know perception reality i love that because again because clarence we all love clarence he that that subtle just those beats he was hitting when using those terms it was it for me, it immersed me into the film, into this particular um, vignette before it even started. And this is, again, another example of when horror films use use children or children's stories, like, masterfully. And I, and yes, I'm saying masterfully, um, because I really love this, the idea of, yeah, you're seeing you're seeing this you're seeing this story through the eyes of this child. So it kind of like and it, and it works great because you it's interesting because I always, cause now I'm thinking about it even more. So I'm just like, you know, was he really a monster or was he really a monster? You know what I mean? Okay. It's, it's those, I, I kind of, re, I really like that play. And I like that, that, you know, as an audience member, your, your perception is, is distorted as well. But again, because, be, because you are so invested in Walter, it, you, you, you believe it. And, you you would even believe it regardless. Uh, again, I don't know if I'm making much sense, but because I feel like he said, um, I th- feel like Vince said everything um, just perfectly. But yeah, it's my favorite too for sure. I think he. I think he. He. As far as the whole monster, whether or not you know David Allen Greer's character was a monster, he was a monster, but he was a real world monster. Mm-hmm. You know mm-hmm. the fact that how I think Clarence. I mean, excuse me, Clarence Walter. You know, actually. Um, created this monstrous image in his mind almost as a way of trying to detach from from that reality mm-hmm. yeah. because the reality is not only is it like you know this man coming in here and beating on me this is a man that you know has been welcomed into my house that my mother is telling me that I should be you know I don't have to fear so you know is there is there some kind of duality there that i'm just not seeing as a child is it actually right. truly a monster right. that's coming mm-hmm. into this door and then when i walk out the door and i go i go downstairs i see this man kissing on on my mother is could that actually be the same person you know what i mean so i think it, i think that's where the the whole monster aspect of it of it is the horror really doesn't come in until the comeuppance like you say the whole crumpling and how you know his body starts getting twisted with as he crumples the paper where he drew the picture of the monster as he as he saw him in his mind again another part where you know the effects were very well done yeah it was uh it was like it, it was just really Cool. I took note of David Allen Greer in this as well too. Right in the beginning, he was he was very understated in how he was um, in his acting. I mean, David Allen Greer, whether he's doing comedy or drama or whatever, he just raises the level of yeah, everything that he's absolutely. in. Absolutely. I mean, he's just a phenomenal actor. Um, and if you ever heard like an interview of with him, you know, he talks about all the people that he went to school with and his training and everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic guy. Saw him in Broadway and Porgy and Bess. He was amazing. Um, this was, it was just really very, very cool. Very, it, it, it hit home for me 
Um, not that I've ever been the victim of that or anything like that, but I know children that have. Right. And I know children, uh, I know women that have done, mm-hmm. dealt with that. Right. In that same situation. And it was very, uh, it was a little, it was a little, it was a little hard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Watching it. Like, you know, especially when he punches Paula J. Walker, you know, I know, uh, unfortunately, a few women that have right. had that same thing, have been in that exact same situation. Um, so that was uh, so, um, a little rough. And I think that may be one of the reasons why it did hit home. I also liked that, you know, the teacher, as much as he was trying to be the hero, right. he wasn't the hero. Right. right. He exactly. Wasn't, he wasn't the hero at all. Actually, he needed to get out of the way. Right. You know, just go grow your locks. Right. I heard that scene was severely cut and it almost got an X rating because there was there was much more uh, brutality to the physical parts of that. The end of that vignette. So when he's beating her, we we didn't get the more severe. Wow. So more. So more of of him beating her. Right. I wow. Think, yeah. I think it was more toward. Yeah. It was more towards him. If I'm remembering this correctly, but yeah, cause I just read this, um, these little tidbits last night, but yeah. right. Right. It's um, a tough scene. Mm-hmm. And you know, again, if you're going to watch one vignette from this, this is the one I'd recommend. Yeah. That, that just again, again, speaks to the, you know, they had to cut it and what was in there is still a little yeah. rough. Oh yeah. Let's see. Um, and that again, just speaks to the, the different tones uh, culturally that we have towards, you know, violence towards women. Um, like, cause you know, if that, if this movie comes out now, you know, it may, people yeah. might be feeling some type of way about it. Next we have KKK come up and slave puppets. <laughs> with, uh, Duke, Duke Megger <laughs> played by Corbin Burson. Is an obnoxious and racist Southern senator and a former member of the Ku Klux Klan. He's just like banged the drum. Like, just yes. like yeah. hit it upside that mouth. Yeah. Uh, the senator is in his office filming a campaign commercial when he sees protesters outside the office. Jewish and African American groups have teamed up to protest against Duke for being a racist, a former Klansman, and for setting up his office at an old slave plantation. One individual, in fact, this Eli, guy. played by Art Evans, tells the reporter that the plantation is haunted by <laughs> dolls animated by the souls of the previously tortured slaves. And he warns everybody that this is not a myth. It's not a myth. Oh, Art Evans. Me, me oh, while, Art Evans. Meanwhile, Duke and his African-American image maker, Rhodey, played by Vince's favorite That's- actor, Roger... Uh, Gouverneur Smith. Gouverneur Smith. Malcolm. <laughs> Notices my dude. A large painting of Ms. Cobbs, a hoodoo witch with oh her dolls. <laughs> Duke says racial slurs to Rhodey, who attempts to ignore his rantings. Duke also refers to the dolls as Negro dolls. And then one of the dolls is seen under the floorboards as Rhodey leaves and let the horror begin. <sighs> Actually, I think you have to start this one. I started the last one with, with the with the nice understated real world commentary of spousal and child abuse, both physical and mental. So I guess this you one, get to talk about slave voodoo dolls. I guess this one was brought in for balance because 
<laughs> there wasn't a dry eye in the house, meaning everyone was laughing so hard yeah. at the at the just race race one racism one oh one from Cor- Corbin Burnson. Oh my goodness! Yes, when the action starts. Um, yeah, this was. <laughs> This is one I specifically remember as a kid because, like, m- my mother just lost her ever-loving mind <laughs> with laughter because it was just so over the top. But um, I, I don't even... I don't know what to say, to be honest with you. Um, I, I loved it. <laughs> I loved every freaking minute of it. I love watching because I'm a Cormac Burson fan. Mm-hmm. So I loved, and you could tell... To me, I mean, I'm sure the man doesn't. I I don't think he isn't true, real life a racist. Right, right. Like Hopefully that. not. And yet, and still, I think he was having fun. Oh yeah, yeah. he oh, was yeah. having a good time. It wasn't a piece of scenery that he didn't eat. No. no, I mean, he he was getting. He was like, as far as he was concerned, yo, I'm doing an episode of Twilight Zone. Yeah, and I'm I'm going for it. And he leans into the Negro dials and all you. I mean, he leans in on it yeah he is going for it having such a good time um and then as you see the dial underneath you see the dial underneath the house and you just know like oh this is just this is going to be and the violins violins equal doom let's just face it let's let's just face it there's nothing like you know the trumpet is sexy. Violins are scary. Yeah, it's as simple as that. Um, everyone is having. I mean, everyone is having fun to me in this in this little vignette. I swear to God, the little stop motion dolls are having fun. They're like, because I did find them creepy though. They're like just creepy. the image of them. Yeah, they were. Was a lot. Yeah, they were a little. So that was a lot. They were a little creepy because they weren't even because. Like I kept waiting for the because for the most part he's tortured by this one doll, right? And I kept waiting for them to like change his the the doll's features, arch it just a little bit, like giving him like razor sharp teeth or like almost like skull like features. But no, he just looks like a little black underfed slave. That is just, it still looks creepy. It though. is creepy, no, yeah, but it is the, creepy. And then they all then all the dolls come, and I was like, oh, okay. Let's hurry. Let's go ahead and get to the next one. I ain't like it. It's interesting because for a movie that's quote urban horror, so to speak, it like I like how they brought in the country aspect of it. They brought in oh, Southern Gothic tropes. Yes, yes they did. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Did. And you know, for better or worse, for people who are um, who are practitioners of that particular um, spiritual practice, like hoodoo or voodoo or whatever you want to call it, I, I don't know how accurate it is, but um, I don't think but it's I, that accurate. Yeah, I. I like the concept of um, of of what our ancestors went through, and how the idea of placing their placing you know their the spirits souls. yeah the spirits mm-hmm. in some kind of a conduit that's still on Earth until they find their way to wherever they're supposed to go. I think that's really interesting, yeah. and that and again it's creepy and but it, like okay, so you place your souls in these dolls until you figure out where you're going. Where are you trying to go? It's, it it's, depends it's, on hey, your, we're, we're enslaved your... peoples. It's it's we don't have a whole lot of options. So you just came back to get back you at just, this one dude. You, you just kind of waiting. 
I um I, I thought Corbin Burnson was over the top as the kind of politician, kind of bringing America back and bring. But you know, I've lived through this presidential election, <laughs> so it's like, and and I do think you you know there is this. I mean, you have to squint and kind of talk about this movie for an hour at a table with people who also took the film seriously to see it. But there is this kind of subtextual kind of push and pull about the myth of the American South. You know, this kind of, I wish I lived in Dixie mint juleps versus the actual brutality. Okay. So, yeah. you know, when yeah, he I says, you know, I moved into the house and his whole shtick about, you know, he, he, he comes out and almost says, make America great again. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. he uses all of that kind of, you know, that, that language, that encoded language that we know what it really means. Mm hmm about American values and a true American and a real American. And this house represents those old values. And yeah, literally the house is on top of these enslaved spirits. And so, you know, yeah, no. And so two things. So yeah. Cause you remember he's yelling at the one doll about you, you get no reparations. Maybe, maybe <laughs> the house being, uh, unused or maybe that's reparations maybe that's their 40 acres yeah, sands the mule true. you know right. what i mean maybe that house itself that property that those slaves helped build mm-hmm. and the wealth that followed is a part of you know let us rest here because it's ours because right. we built it and also what's really interesting i wrote this down um, i almost forgot um the way the, the american flag is used in this too he beats the voodoo yeah. mural with the American flag. And then when all of the puppets come out, he uses, he kind of, he, he almost uses it to shelter Sh- himself. Shelter himself. Yeah. Yeah. That yeah. Very interesting symbolism yeah. that could be easily missed. Yes. Very true. Very true. I, I, I did note, take note of him beating the, the picture, but I didn't note the shielding, but now you A little bit. That up, yeah. It's right. very yeah. subtle. Yeah. That's, that, that's very true. Um, like I said, I think we mentioned it earlier before. You know, this is really great special effects on these dolls. These dolls were like, you know, I expected them to be like little cheapy little things, man. You know, like almost like Muppets. These things were cool. For 1995, yeah. Absolutely. For 1995, Mm -hmm. for being a low budget black horror film, let's be honest, this was very, very good special effects in this this, um, film. I really, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the hell out of it. And then we ended with Hardcore Convert, Jerome. Crazy K. Yes, Crazy K. Played by Lamont Bentley, is a violent gang member and homicidal psychopath who has (laughs) killed many people mercilessly. He's driving down the streets of Los Angeles in his Mustang. Coming to a stoplight, he notices a car of his enemy he's been after for a long time and follows him. Crazy K parks in the neighborhood, has a brief argument with his enemy, then shoots him. In retaliation, three other men attack from a house nearby. They shooting Crazy K, and just as they are about to kill him, the police arrive at the scene. Due to one of the shooters firing at the police officers, all three gunmen are shot and killed by the officers. Crazy K is badly injured but survives, only to get arrested and sent to prison. Where? He uh, he has received a life sentence for suspicion of murder three times along with other charges. I didn't know you could get a life sentence for suspicion of murder. Anyway. Uh, Thanks, do- President Clinton. <laughs> Dr. Cushing. Dr. Cushing. Subtle. <laughs> very much. Uh, played by Rosalind Cash 
in her final film yeah. role. Yeah. Uh, offers him a way out if he becomes part of a an experimental uh, program that she has going on there. Uh, and thus the horror begins in hardcore convert. Um, I didn't like this. I didn't like it either. I didn't like I didn't, anything I didn't, I didn't, I didn't like it, it either. I think, um, you, you know... I think of all of the pieces of this film, this is the one that has aged the aged the most badly. You, you know, I think we we all have a better understanding of sort of the forces at play when we talk about crime and we talk about you know all these issues in our community. You know, I just name check Donald Trump, but um, you know, one of the things that Hillary Clinton has been dealing with through this election is is her referring to young black men as super predators. Yeah. And part of her defense is basically, well, I wasn't the only one saying that. It was black people saying it, too. And when you think about this as a film, this is a depiction of these men written, directed, produced by other black men. Mm -hmm. You you know, it 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 made me very uncomfortable watching it, you know, like Crazy K and, and, you know, even the three the three characters in the framing sequence they're they're i mean they're super predators like you said he's a homicidal maniac like he has no interiority he has no kind of fears any hopes like you don't really know what his kind of motivation is he's just like, like what i wrote in my notes is that the characters in grand theft auto are more nuanced than uh, crazy k yeah yeah you, you know even at the time even in 95 this sort of um the, 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 this sort this sort of, of verbiage that people came like, you know, you're just as bad as the Ku Klux Klan and you're just killing each other. And it was just I, I, I just thought it was. Um, almost exploitive and certainly kind of misses the point, even in 1995, like, again, I know hindsight is 2020, but even in 1995, there were voices saying that there's more going on than just, you know, quote unquote, crazy niggas shooting at each other in the street. Right. So I didn't like it at all. Ashley. No, I just have more questions than comments, because I feel like so. I'm not arguing at all because you made really valid points and I, I agree I'm, I'm wondering what yeah again kind of piggybacking off of what you said and kind of expanding it would it have been a a, a more well-rounded story not necessarily better if you know we brought some more characterization into who he was he was not just being just crazy k well and I'm glad you actually because I forgot something I think if you make him a character mm-hmm then you complicate what's done to him in these experiments mm. because the other, I mean, it's, it's, it's just, um, oppression 101 What's the first thing you do. You dehumanize a person, which then right. justifies everything you do to him. So if you made him an actual person, mm. then all of this stuff where he's strapped in and, and, you know, and he's naked the whole time and they put him in the little cage, cage. you know, suddenly we don't see this as again, an EC comics, justifiable punishment now we have to say well, well well what's happening here which you know kind of unintentionally is a great metaphor of of the prison system in this country no yeah, i agree because that's know. the one thing i picked up on i'm like oh he's just an animal he's not even yeah. a person and again it is black people that made this movie it is black people yeah. that made yeah. this movie 
Um, and in the movie, it's black people that are putting him through this process. Yes. Rosalind Cash that puts him through the process. I didn't like it. Um, I see all of your points. I just didn't like it because I didn't think it was well done. I didn't. I didn't like the acting. Uh, Lamont Bentley was getting on my nerves, and I know he was just drawing one one note, but that note he was just it just he was hitting it too hard, and it was just. Uh, I just really didn't like anything about it. Plus, I think after kind of because by the time you get to this one, you you sat through the road cop. And it's a little up and down. But then you have uh, the boy will be bruised. Wow. That's really powerful. That's really some good stuff. Then you've got the comedy of of the KKK, you know, Corbin Burnson, um, who, which I think I think they definitely are playing that for the laughs. In right, the right. Movie. It's a little over the top. So you've got the comedy for that. And then you've got this. And I think the intention here with this with this vignette is to speak directly to whom they think is sitting in the exactly. aisle. Exactly. This is talking to you. Right. This is talking to you. And and that's not a bad plan, but you're not talking to them. You're talking at them. Exactly. You're the old guy saying, pull your pants up. Exactly. And I think you have a an opportunity to actually, you know, talk to them, to begin a conversation by right. gi- giving the, the characters a little bit n- more nuance, by not wasting Rosalind Cash right. in a, yeah. a, this thankless role of basically just like, you know, you know, talking all this this crazy stuff and then having lights flashing on in her face. You right. Know? Um, I think you, you, you waste the opportunity to really open up a dialogue about what you're seeing because uh, I don't think that it's, it's, it's definitely a dialogue worth having like you say these, he is a super predator and to some degree whether people want to uh, agree with it or not to some degree he was indicative of ser- some of the things that were going on in the streets of black America at that time so th- there is that time for really truly hard-hitting biting commentary that could have made that could have uh evoked a little bit of you know thought in the audience and be like huh yeah you know what i mean but you waste that and then it's wasted even more so because you know this story then ties into the whole framing image yes uh framing uh sequence which then just becomes like another bludgeon of that point. Yes. And now you're just doubling down on that point. Although, the framing sequence, for me, is saved. Because it has Mr. Clarence Williams III in it. And, and he is an American treasure. Mm-hmm. And I love him so much. And when and, and as, as, <laughs> as the funeral home director, he is a joy. I love him so much. I love Clarence Williams III. I love post-Purple Rain Clarence Williams III. I fight any man in the room about it. Well, put on your boxing gloves. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Clarence Williams, he, he, he's, he's having fun. <laughs> I see that. But I, I, I just, he was, 
I don't kneel at this altar of Clarence William III. I appreciate Clarence William III for what he did in Purple Rain. Yeah, and he yeah. is easily the best actor in Purple Rain. Yeah, but oh yeah. one of the great things that makes him great about in Purple Rain is that when you go back and watch the film, he's not in a lot of the movie. And he's restrained. And he's restrained. He's, he's, he's Believe it or not, he's, re- he's restrained because he's being directed to be so. But boy, once he gets to Sugar Hill in this, he's... Well, I'm. I, I I love him. He's playing. He's playing for the film. And yeah. that's what I like. I love him. I love him. I wish he, this had been a series of films, and he was a returning character yes. like the Crypt Keeper. I agree. Wow, that's a missed opportunity. That's he's. I do agree. That's a missed opportunity. <laughs> this there easily should have been a Tales from the Hood. He could have yeah. been a Yeah. So, spoiler for a t- almost thirty year old movie. Come to find out, he's really the devil. That scene at the end where the three gangbangers are are in fear and he turns into the devil, I watched that four different times. That made me laugh so hard. It is funny, only to see when they start burning, how each of them are doing a different dance. <laughs> They're doing a dance. It's the I'm burning in hell dance. Oh, I'm burning. <laughs> I'm burning. I'm like, what the hell? What is Joe Tory doing in this movie? Um, yeah, he's the devil, and, and they, they are actually dead. Uh, it was, <sighs> and then he transforms into the actual devil. He, he looks like the dude from Legend. Like he's. <laughs> Just the straight up. He's <laughs> he does. He does. He one hundred percent has the like It was fantastic. Oh my god. Oh, this was um Yeah, so this was Tales from the Hood. Tales from the Hood. Tales from the Hood, ladies and gentlemen. A, a movie that I think that, you know Do we recommend it? Oh wow. I do. I, well, we know you do. You said this is one of your favorites. I would recommend this because those two, uh, those two uh, vignettes in the middle, boys, boys do be bruised and KKK come up and they are words like if you could just pluck them out of this movie, they would be like they would be so good on television. Mm. I'd recommend it. I'd I recommend recommend, it just, I would recommend it just. I recommend it for I, that. I, I, I like anthologies. I like, you know, it's sort of my love for the 70s. And it was this quick second in the 90s where you got it, where you had black films that tried to do different things. And, and you know, I, it certainly, I, I give a lot, I, I, I give a lot of dap to Spike Lee for helping to produce this. Yes, and and I really and let's give some love because there's Rusty Gundia right and directed. I was about the other yeah. producer is Darren Scott, right? Okay, and and I like Rusty Gundia's filmography. I always thought he should have worked more. Mm. Uh, Fear of a Black Hat, I think, is a Very really underrated. underrated, interesting movie. Sprung, I feel like if Sprung had a couple of different people playing the leads, we would talk about Sprung like we talk about Love Jones. I don't know about that, but I hear you. It could have used some better acting. Yeah, I mean, not it, even better act because you know I like him as an actor, and you know Tisha Campbell is is, is all right. Then maybe better direction. Yeah, but but it's a good movie, and and I, I wish he had worked more. So you know, I would recommend it. I would definitely recommend. I Tales would from recommend. The, I would te- recommend Tales from the Hood, and I'll be honest, I did not sit down and watch this film thinking I would be recommended. Well, I remember not liking it. 
Like yeah, I remember so actively not liking it. So I'm glad I watched it again and I have a, a I have more complicated feelings about it. Yeah, I think watching it now for me, I wish there were more uh, voices of women. Like, I, it, mm. like even if there was like a female co-writer and there was a, a woman's story. Like, you know, and again, that's another thing that's probably a little bit that doesn't that is a little bit more too nuanced, I guess, for the time or for whatever they were trying to create as far as this film, which is what we which is obviously we see what they were trying to do is um, result wise. But like, you know, uh, 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 maybe taking out some of the stories that she didn't particularly care for and bringing in a different story that's from a, a black female perspective and yeah. working with those intersections of gender and race would have, mm-hmm. for the time with a with a supernatural element would have been pretty cool. I think it would have been very interesting to see a, a woman's take on the boys do be bruised. Yeah. Just like just using that same story mm-hmm. and just... Um, course it is the early 90s so we ain't ain't really trying to hear from the ladies right now except yeah with super independent films that no one has heard of that's right this is no time for the ladies another and yet again another missed opportunity another missed opportunity but that being said you should go check out tales from the hood we yeah i caught it uh, um rented rented for like just a couple of bucks on yeah, Amazon. Amazon. Yeah, I got it from Amazon. Um, it's always around. Like they actually, it, it, but from what, from what, from you what, catch it on TV. And but from what I, I've never caught it on TV. But from what Ashley has told me, it's it's actually not in print. There's not like a Blu-ray edition of it or anything. There's like no that. Blu-ray. Uh-huh. I mean, it's something I've wanted. Uh, I from some reliable sources. I believe so. I've heard a couple of stories, and that's why, like, reli- reliable, yes, but like the story, I'm like because. First, I hear that the studio, it got lost in the fire. So okay. the original print of it to, to do the reproductions are like lost. Um, there's an interview on Yahoo.com. Um, I, I don't know because I, I, I need to comb through that interview because I don't know if um, the journalist is interviewing Darren Scott or Rusty Kandiev. But, you know, towards the end of the when they were t- kind of talking about, you know, doing a sequel or whatever, um, uh, the person being interviewed said, you know, the studio that didn't want a sequel. Um, they still kind of don't because um, this was back. This was, interview was done in 2015. So there's that. And also him saying, you know, if any, if, if, if a old movie theater has a copy of the movie before, before everything went digital, please let me know because, you know, Universal doesn't have it anymore. So hmm. there's some there's some murky waters as far as why there's no blu-ray why you know the dvd that's not available apparently not available to buy very easily anymore is not on amazon it's it's nowhere really to be found and like i told um len earlier there's a i was at monster mania and a used dvd of this film was 25 dollars, which is ridiculous really yes and i think i i don't remember how much i bought mine for but it definitely wasn't no 25 dollars, and it was brand new so it's one of those it's becoming one of those rare films but yeah you can find it digitally it has been on showtime um but wow wow that's crazy this is um yeah jesus wow are you out of your freaking mind oh yeah what do you see i'm looking here i'm looking on amazon Mm -hmm. uh and on amazon uh for amazon video you can of course rent it um they say in 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 standard definition or high definition. It's never been reproduced in high definition. No. So why would you waste your money? But they don't. People don't know. Um, you can rent it from either three ninety nine to seven ninety nine. You can buy it on DVD, Amazon Prime. 
$125. Wow. Tales from the hood. <laughs> Tales from the hood. There are some people listening to this very episode who are sitting on a gold mine. Yeah, how about that? I, I can guarantee you <laughs> that someone listening to this podcast owns a copy of Tales from the Hood. I would bet my left arm. It's funny as we're talking about this and thinking about the the, the opportunity, there is an opportunity to return to this um, to this title. It's an exact film. You know, especially if Rusty Candia for Darren Scott owns the, the, the copyrights rights to yeah. Tales from the Hood. Yeah. Most importantly, Clarence Williams III is still alive. <laughs> Oh, I got the stuff. <laughs> oh, I got the stuff. Except he didn't say stuff. I'm trying to be clean. Mm-hmm. Donald Pleasance rode that Halloween train till the end, so you never know. He sure did, didn't he? Mm-hmm. He sure did. All right, ladies and gentlemen, um, let us know what you thought of Tales from the Hood or uh, hit us up. Email us at Mission at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook at Mission. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Mission Show. And you can find our show available for your download and streaming pleasure on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and every place a good podcast be. And Ashley, where, where can we hear you, see you? I am on Twitter at Graveyard Sister. Uh, you can also find Graveyard Shift Sisters on the on multiple platforms: Facebook, Tumblr, and Google Plus. Yeah, um, and uh, also I do the Girls Will Be Ghouls podcast. Um, you can find us on Twitter at G W. Wait, Girls Will <laughs> G W. See, you can't keep up with your stuff. I can't keep up with it. Podcast. <laughs> also, girls will be ghouls.wordpress.com. I co host that with um, lovely Zena on Twitter. She's also Zena Shade Dixon of the real queen of horror.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen. He's Vince. I'm Len. That's Ashley. In parting, we say, We'll see you when it's time to meet again. It's time to bid adieu. It's been a pleasure knowing you. I'll see you when it's time to meet again.